I do appreciate the prayers, especially the prayers of our shepherds, because it is their heart to be praying for this church, praying for you, and as a witness to their prayers, uh, I can attest that they spend hours praying, oftentimes going name by name by name, need by need, um, request by request, uh, lifting you up as we dive into this message this series, I can't imagine a better way to start than with prayer. Uh, we are launching this series today, and I want to tell you how excited I am. I honestly feel that this is one that God laid on my heart more than a year ago. And I've been wrestling with this, and I have been studying and preparing, and we've been talking as a ministry staff, and I've been having all kinds of conversations, reading all kinds of uh, material, because I think what we're going to do over the next several weeks in this series is going to be critical for our stage as a church, but more importantly, perhaps for your situation in your faith right now. And where that is, and how do we live this this out? Uh, as a part of the series, uh, there's so much that I want to share, and I realize it's not all going to fit neatly into the sermon time. And so, instead of always trying to press up against the time restraints, I want to provide more material, uh, a resource. And so, if you have a phone with you, if you want, pull out your your you have my permission, pull out your cell phone, and either. Take a picture of the screen, or if you want to go ahead and do the text right now, text the word BEYOND to the number that you see on the screen. Just the word BEYOND, nothing else. And that will put you on a list. And what I'm going to do, we're calling this BEYOND the Sermon. And I'm going to send out some kind of resource each week in relationship to what we're studying here. Sometimes it may be a study guide. Sometimes it may be a list of questions. It may be some practical applications on how to live out what Scripture is teaching us. Sometimes it may simply be a worship song or a contemporary song that I think speaks to and interacts with what we're talking about. And so we want to provide that. And this is simply a way for you in your study as you try to live this out, as you wrestle with the questions that we're going to be bringing up that you can take the sermon further into the week and into your life and more importantly God's word into your heart and so that I want to provide that for you so if you want to be a part of that whether you're in the room or you've joined us online that's available uh, to all and we'll we'll make that happen once a week at least uh, we're learning how to do this but we're going to make that available so why would we do a series like this as I said, God's had this on my heart for many, uh, for many, many months now. And part of it may come from the, where Erica and I are just personally. Over the last two weeks, we've made two significant trips. Uh, one was to Searcy, Arkansas, where we dropped off our daughter Cooper. And then the following week, we went up to Abilene and dropped off her twin brother, our son Cutter. Uh, to start his college career at ACU. And I've had a lot of thought now of what kind of world, what kind of culture are we launching them into? What's, what's out there for them? And so in, in many ways, this is a series that comes from the heart of a dad that wants to inform his kids in a certain way. 
And then as I thought about more, there's the heart of a pastor that wants to form the church a certain way. And so we're going to wrestle with this idea, and here's the, here's the driving question. How do you have faith living in this culture? How, how do you grow faith? How do you develop faith? How do you um, work through the questions that you've got for your faith? And then ultimately, how do you live it out? In a culture that, as we're going to talk about, is not in any way pretending to be on your team. Not in any way pretending to be for you. So how do we live faithfully? How do we wrestle with the questions we need to wrestle with? How how do we address doubts? And we're going to talk a lot about this as we go. Today's just the introduction. But how do we have that and live in this world without doing some kind of retreat, without backing off of the world somehow, without trying to hide under a rock or just hole up and just be ourselves and pray that God come quickly? How do we engage the culture around us, those around us, with our faith intact? And so we're going to try to address this in several ways, but we're going to have a certain guide, and his name is going to be Peter. And perhaps you're very familiar with Peter, but Peter experienced in many ways what we're going to be talking about because Peter had to get what I'm going to call in this series beyond religion. See, this, this isn't just about how do you get more religious. If, if that's where you think this series is going, how do I be a more religious person, then we're already off target. Because religion is a certain set of practices that you come in and just by simple repetition, somehow you attain access to and receive the blessings of whatever the deity is that is part of that religion. Peter was a part of a religion and he had to go through a process and come out on the other side with a faith. Make sense? One of the things that has made me aware of our need for this series is I've looked at a lot of, even my peers, peers that I went to school with and studied and prepared for ministry with, that have gone through a process, and there's a fancy word for it. I'm going to share with you the fancy word. Don't, don't get too caught up in the words. But there's a process, a trend that's occurring in our culture that has been for many years now, and it's known as deconstructionism. Okay, deconstruct. Just like if you were to take apart a building, you deconstruct it. You take it all the way back down. Well, deconstructionism is simply this. It's the dismantling of your faith to the point of abandoning it. Now... That's my working definition. You can get into the literature and there's all kinds of different different ways this can be defined. But for the purposes of this, what I see occurring in many people is this deconstructing of faith where they're taking their faith back apart because of different influences. We'll talk about in just a second. They're taking it back apart and then the result is an abandonment of faith. Maybe you've heard the phrase deconversion. And if, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, you go down a rabbit hole by going onto uh, YouTube and just put in deconversion stories. And people will start, you'll see all these posts of people sharing their story. 
Now, I want to be very clear because I want my words to be pastoral and not painful. Okay, I don't, I'm not trying to do more harm. I am convicted of this series that we're going to launch into because so many that I'm aware of are wrestling with this very issue. And I want to be clear, I'm not trying to somehow manipulate you or persuade you or sell a uh, sell you a bill of goods on something. I want to address your questions and your concerns and your doubts because it is not it is not unfaithful to have questions and doubts. That is not what I'm saying. That if you somehow have doubts or you have questions or you struggle with something, that's not the problem. The problem is that when we start taking it apart so far and then we don't build anything back in this place, there's no reconstruction that goes on. And so perhaps these questions, as we go through this series, I'm going to ask for an ear of grace from you. That as we move through this series, that if you would, if there's parts that you feel like you want to push back on, let's talk. That's totally fine. If there's something you think you're not seeing it that way, that's great. What I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to lead you through Scripture as a way to rebuild or build in place what we'll call a biblical or a Christian world view and address this concern of deconstructing and losing our faith in the midst of culture. As I did uh, research, I realized that there's a lot of people that are walking through this right now or perhaps you know somebody or you love somebody that's either going through this process or is walking through this process. And again, questions and doubts themselves are not the problem. I want to be very clear of that. Scripture, God, Jesus, they're not afraid of the questions. But how we go through those. There's all kinds of different lists if you want to talk. As I did my research, I came up with these, what I'm going to just call the top five. These aren't in particular order, but top five reasons for people losing their faith. And maybe you can connect with some of these because some of these may interact with your story. Here's reason number one is this, the doubts and questions. Is you start asking some questions that perhaps, you know, my preacher growing up never covered, never said anything about that. What, what about this? Doubts and questions could come as far as the, how can we trust the, how can we trust the Bible? What tells us we can trust the Bible? What, what's the evidences there? So these doubts, these questions, did the miracles really happen? Can we believe, can we believe that? So those can begin um, second reason or another reason is pain and suffering. Somewhere along the way, you experienced something that was out of your control. It was a disease. It was the loss of a, of a loved one. It was a debilitating accident. Uh, it was a financial crisis. Um, it was maybe the home that you grew up in. And there was abuse there. And you experience this pain, this suffering. And your question is, if there's a good God, explain this to me. And people end up losing their faith because of it. Another reason is, again, religious trauma or hypocrisy. See, I'm aware every time I get up that there are many of you that stood out there that 
You have a great suspicion of me because somewhere in your story, somebody that does what I do hurts you deeply. They had bad theology. And somehow in their preaching, they let you know you don't fit. You don't measure up to what God wants. You're out. Or you see the hypocrisy that happens often in, in, in church where we pick and choose what sin we're going to really come down on. And you see that and you say, if, that, if, if, if that's God, if that's the kind of people God likes to have around him, I'm done. And I'm out. Fourth reason, cultural and social influences. This is a big one for us right now. There is an incredible rise of social media, and there's lots of good about social media. This isn't a rant on it. But we have to understand with the rise of social media comes greater influence into our homes. And parents, you're well aware of this, into our kids' lives. And we have so little control over it if we're not careful. It is, it is piping into our kids' hands and into their eyes. And unless you are diligent on it, there is nothing that we can do to stop it. See, see, back in the day, when I was growing up, all you had to do was turn the TV off. And I didn't have one in my room. But now, everything can show up in our pocket. And it's that close. Last reason is this. A loss of community. So often when people walk through a deconstructing process of wondering how do we live this out, they end up becoming isolated. This really affects, and this is, this is why it's on my heart right now, when, especially when our students go off to college or they go off to a trade school or they go off to start a business, wherever it is, but they've moved from this location where they've grown up and they've gone to camp together and they've been devos together and they've been at Summit together and they've got this community around them that's all in the positive influence and trying to pull them in the right direction. Now they find themselves in a different city, in a different state perhaps, and now they're alone. And now the questions creep in and there's not the community around. Or maybe you felt like because of one of the other, you got some kind of trauma from a church somewhere, the hypocrisy, and you had to leave one church, but now you're still without a community. And so now you're, you're left. How do you have faith when we live in this culture? So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to let Peter be our guide, and that's why you've got these journals, and I really want you to be using these journals or for our students to use their student Bibles I want you to follow along because I want you to do your best to capture this. And if there's anything that I say that's helpful, write that down. And especially highlight the scriptures that, that we go over and the, where they're connecting with you. Because what's going to be more important is you take this, not my words, but God's words, into your life. And you spend some time wrestling, uh, wrestling with it. But we're going to... We're going to look at this letter, and that's what First Peter is. It's a letter. It's the first of two letters that we have by the Apostle Peter. Talk about him in just a second. But it's the first of two letters that we have 
where he is addressing the very issues that we are struggling with in our world today. If you've heard me preach before, I have an underlying thesis, and one of the reasons that I'm both challenged but grateful and excited to be a preacher in the 21st century is simply this. I believe the 21st century dynamics greater resemble the 1st century dynamics more than any century in between. I think the way that our culture has shaped itself and the way that, that um, our society seems to be going greatly resembles the direction it was headed in the 1st century. Because I believe that if you grew up, perhaps you grew up in the 50s, and you remember a different time, and there's a thought that says, you know, if we could just get back to the good old days, if we could just get back to when it all made, it, it all made sense. And it, it's hard to believe now that, you know, the, you've heard me talk about the blue laws before, and if you don't know what a blue law is, that's where stores were actually closed on Sunday because that was the law, that was the law of the land, the code closed on Sundays. You couldn't sell alcohol on Sundays because it was not going to compete with church. And so we very much had this culture that at least in, in structure and some of the forms and some of the overlays, it seemed very positive towards having a faith. That was not the first century. The first century, if you had faith, it cost you something. It made you politically incorrect to have faith in the first century. That's why I'm suggesting and I believe that we live in a world today that more greatly resembles that world than any century in between. And so what's exciting about that, to me, is that these documents that we have that make up our New Testament, they were written in a cultural environment like ours. And so I don't think that they're saying new things. But I do believe we have new ears, fresh ears to hear what's being said. And maybe even more clearly now. So we're going to let this document called 1 Peter guide us. And if you're not familiar with Peter, he's the author of this. And he was one of the guys that followed Jesus. He's known as the Apostle Peter. And I want to suggest that his life... What he experienced gives him validation to be our guide on this series. And so this first message, what I want to do is I want to touch in First Peter, but I want to give you a, a look at Peter's life. And so in your journals, there's a, about a couple pages in, there's like a blank page. It's like opposite the title page, I think. And so if you want to take some notes on Peter, I want you to find that page. And I'm going to give you, there's a couple places we're going to go to in First Peter, but then I want you to have a place to write these notes for on Peter himself. So if you've got that page, I'll open up this way. First Peter writes this letter, and about chapter 3, now he didn't have the chapters and numbers, but in chapter 3, right there in the middle, he gives us Sort of his thesis statement for it. So here's the thesis statement for all of this series. Chapter 3, verse 15 says this. But in your hearts, honor Christ in the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make 
a defense. And if you have a NIV version, it'll say, give an answer. Make a defense, give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, growing up, when I read this, and it says, be prepared to make a defense or give an answer. I always thought that it was because somebody would come up to me and go, I am really, really impressed with how you've chosen to live your life. I admire all the things that you stand for. Would you please tell me why you've chosen to live life this way so that I may live life in the same way? Okay, that never happened. May have been something about how I was living my life, but that's not what Peter is writing about. When he says to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, he is writing to people that have made life choices based on the man that they follow, the one that went to the cross to become a disciple of his that have cost them greatly. They are now outside of the religion of their childhood. That They grew up in the Jewish faith, but now it can no longer contain all their beliefs, and so now they've been kicked out of places like the synagogue, like their church. And for some of them, that means they're also outside of their trade and their profession. And so there's, there's family relationships that are costing them. There's families that are saying, well, you're dead to me now. If, if you're going to leave the good, good old-fashioned religion, you're, you're done. And so it's costing them great. And so what they're having to do is they're having to stand up, somebody come up and say, not, I admire your faith greatly, will you please tell me more about it? People are walking up to them asking them, why in the world do you think the way you think and act the way you act? How impractical is that? You don't seem relevant. You seem out of place here. So this is what Peter is going to write. He says, I want you to be ready to make a defense. And so he's going to build into them, in this letter, he's going to encourage them to create a biblical, maybe a Christian, or even a better way to say it, a Jesus world view to live out of. So they can understand. So this is where he's going to take us. And the reason that Peter has the authority to speak to us in this is because this is exactly what happened to Peter. Peter had to go through a process, and I'm going to show you that through his life, of wrestling with his religion, asking questions, seeing things that he couldn't explain, experiencing doubt, and then coming to a point where even though it would cost him greatly, he would say, Jesus is Lord. He had to go beyond religion. He had to come to a point where he understood that Jesus did not come to give us another religion. Jesus came to say the kingdom of God is near. And if he could say it in that culture back then, he could say it in this culture right now. So I'm going to give you three big themes that come all through this book. And so here's, here's the spoiler alert. We're going to keep coming back to these themes week after week after week. Because this is what Peter's saying. 
that here's how you make a defense. Here's how you live in this culture with your faith fully in, intact. I'll give it to you right now. Here's the, here's the three. He's going to talk about what it means to believe, what it means to belong, and what it means to behave. And I want to show you those real quick in his life. And that will set us up for where we're headed with the rest of this series. And then beginning next week, we'll dive into this letter. Peter was a Jewish, faithful Jewish, working class man. And so the first thing we'll talk about is what did he believe? And so he came to his belief. He grew up in the Jewish faith. And he had no intent of leaving the Jewish faith. In fact, one day when a rabbi, Jesus, comes along and says, I want you to follow me, he actually thinks we're about to go and fulfill the Jewish faith because this rabbi talks in a certain way and he does certain things and he's leading us in a certain way where we think this is now the chance where we're going to get to overthrow the oppressors and we're going to come back into our own glory now. And he is devout in that belief. But time and time again, things keep happening that rattle that faith and challenge him and he questions and he doubts. There's a very famous story where he is in a boat because that's what he does. He's a fisherman. And he's seen storm after storm after storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he knows enough that when a storm happens, what you do is you get to the shore. You stow the boat. You find land wherever it's possible. And they've been in this storm, he and the other disciples, and they are rowing against the wind and the rain and nothing is happening and they're exhausted. And Jesus comes walking out on the water. And first they see him and they claim that he's a ghost and they're afraid. And he calls out to them. And Peter, who's very headstrong and he's uh, spontaneous, impetuous, he just jumps out and he says, If it's you, Lord, command me to come to you. If you want to write down, it's Matthew chapter 14. Peter says this. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the what? Tell me to join you. Do you ever wonder what the other guys in the boat were thinking when Jesus yells this out? He's lost it. And there's a good chance that he has. But Peter's in this situation where he knows that the boat right now doesn't seem to be any safer than being on the water. Here's the response. He, Jesus, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, it's real easy for those of us that don't get out of the boat to look at Peter and go, shame on you. How, how dare you doubt? Because what I want to do is I want to read this with a tone, right? I hear a tone. 
Jesus going, why did you doubt? Will you ever grow up? Peter, come on, we've done this. This is walking on water 101. See, I, I hear that tone in Jesus because that question, why did you doubt? See, I think the better way to hear the tone as Jesus, as the loving one, ready to receive. I have very fond memories. When my kids were little, yeah, I'm pretty nostalgic right now. When my kids were little, you know, they'd get up on the side of the bed or up on a low wall or the bump of the car. And I'd say, jump! <laughs> you know, and then they're... They're in that mode. Yeah, come on, you know. And then I'd go, why are you afraid? You know, and finally at some point there'd be enough faith and they'd leap out there and I'd catch them and hug them. And be like, why were you ever scared? I've got you. I, I think that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, I've got you. But that had to become a belief for Peter. That had to become a reality for Peter. And that's got to become for a reality for those of us that follow Jesus in this culture. That God's got us. Because there's going to be all kinds of times and all kinds of ways. That we're going to be so tempted out. And if you want to see culture as the sea, we're going to go down in it. Because we doubt that he's actually got us. That he's actually enough to sustain us. That for some way and somehow his arms aren't long enough or strong enough to reach us and hold us up. But Peter had to come to that belief. And so he's going to write into his letter again and again and again. Believe in the one that you've given your life to. And we're going to talk about that. Second thing is he's going to talk about belong. Time and time and time again this letter, it's going to be important that Peter knows who you belong to. And I think Peter experienced this on a very special night. And in fact, we celebrate that particular night every time we gather. As Scott Patrick led us today, we gathered around the table. And we shared, symbolically, we shared a meal together. Well, that's all done in reflection of and by the commandment of what Jesus did when he gathered his disciples around him. And he's about to go to the cross. And his last thing to them is to share in this meal. And so he invites them around. And in John's account of the meal, something very interesting happens. Jesus begins to do something that the head guy, the rabbi, should not be doing any gets up while everybody else, Scripture tells us, is talking about who do you think is the best in the room? Who, who's the greatest among us? Well, you know, Jesus is number one, but who's coming in second? And in the midst of this conversation, where they're trying to figure out where their status is, Jesus gets up, he takes off his outer robe, he goes and wraps a towel around his waist and pours a basin, a bowl of water and begins at one of the table to wash their feet that nobody else in the room had decided they were too low to do. 
Jesus assumes that position. So he gets around to Peter. And Peter's always headstrong. You gotta love Peter. And so what Peter does is Peter throws up his hands. You're not washing my feet. You know, he kind of surveys. Everybody else has allowed him to do it, but not me. It's kind of a Jesus trump card almost, I think. It says this. You shall never wash my feet. And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. And so, if you read on, what Peter does is he swings the opposite end. Then give me a bath. And Jesus is like, calm down. Just stop, <laughs> stop it. But what's Jesus saying? Peter, you belong here. You belong with me. Peter's going through all of this turmoil about He's wrestling with his faith and what did it mean as a childhood and now what's the future going to hold? And it's about to be disrupted in a big way because this is not, this night's not going to turn out how Peter thinks this night's going to turn out. But Jesus is telling him, you belong here. So years later, Peter's going to write this letter and he's going to emphasize the meaning of where you belong. And he's going to say again and again, it's not in this culture that you belong. He will use a phrase, exiles and aliens. You are strangers in a foreign land. Do not get comfortable here at home. In fact, if you're uncomfortable, it's because you're not home yet. And he's going to emphasize that again And again and again, because for him, it's important that you understand not just what you believe, but where you belong in the kingdom of God. And do not become too familiar with your surroundings because this isn't where you belong. He will describe us again and again. For all those that follow Jesus, he will describe you as an alien and a stranger in a foreign land. And one of the ways that you know in your foreign land is when you don't understand the language, right? I can remember one of my very first cross-cultural trips. I was on a mission trip in high school. We went deep into Mexico. So we're well past the part of the border that has signs in Spanish and English. And it's just Spanish. And we stop at a small cafe, a little restaurant as we're traveling. And we're sitting there and we've ordered our Cokes in the bottle, which is awesome, I thought, as growing up. And our little meal, and there's a table next to us of, of everybody from the local community. And they're talking, they're laughing, they're having a great old time. I don't understand a word of it. But I think I hear my name. I think somewhere in there they said, Scott. Now, How they knew my name didn't even make sense to me. But I think I can now interpret what they're saying. Because they're laughing. And now I'm getting offended. Because surely they're talking about me. How egocentric is this? I don't understand the language at all. But I'm sure there's something they're talking about me. Well, obviously they weren't. But I started feeling real uncomfortable. Why? Because I was in a foreign place. And I didn't understand the language. 
we're in a culture right now, let's be honest, we don't understand the language anymore. Because the language is changing so rapidly on us. Words like marriage do not mean what they used to mean. Words like faith don't mean. We're redefining man and woman now. And this redefinition is going on and we find ourselves outside of that and Peter's going to remind us that you don't belong here. And if it seems uncomfortable and it seems out of place and if you seem irrelevant, it's because this was not your home. And we're going to spend all these weeks talking about what it means to belong in the family and the kingdom of God. The last thing that uh, Peter talks to us is a way of behaving. How shall we now live this life? After that night that Jesus shared in the supper and washing their feet, he tells Peter something very disturbing. He says, you're going to betray me before it's all over. You're going to deny me. Peter has strong, not me. Other people, the rest of these guys, they're a bunch of schmucks. Me, you can trust me. And yet before the, the evening's out, before dawn the next day, Peter's already denied, even to a little girl standing around a fire. He collapsed like a coward. So then he witnesses the crucifixion. And he's pretty sure it's all over. And then to his disbelief, he then encounters a risen Jesus. And then one morning, because he doesn't know which way life needs to go now, he does, the only thing he knows to do, goes fishing. Jesus comes and walks along the shore and commands them to throw their nets on the other side. And they pull in such a great haul of fish. And Peter realizes it's Jesus And so he does what he does. He dives out of the boat. I don't know if he thought he was going to walk on the water again, but he splashes in and makes his way to the shore. And Jesus is fixing him breakfast. And then Jesus has a very powerful but unique conversation with him. And he keeps asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? Here it is in John. He said to him the third time, Simon, this is Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And you know that his words of denial are ringing in his ears. Jesus goes on. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus was giving him his marching orders. Jesus was taking him beyond religion, beyond all the stuff that he'd grown up with. And he was moving from just a set of beliefs that you ascribe to, to a relationship with Jesus himself. He was calling him into that relationship. And he said, that relationship, there's a certain way that we behave. And my marching orders for you, Peter, from here on for the rest of your life, I want you to feed my sheep. That's a language and way of saying, I want you to take care of those that follow me. I want you to minister and I want you to serve them. And we know that it would even eventually cost Peter his entire life. 
And it would not be easy and would not be comfortable and he would lay down his life at the end. But Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. There's a way I want you to live. There's a way I want you to behave and I want you to feed my sheep. We are called into this culture like Peter was called into that culture to serve, to love, and to care. That does not mean we affirm everything the culture puts forward. But what we don't do is we don't make people that are caught up in the culture the enemy. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil powers. And so Peter is one that can now speak to us. He can feed us as followers of Jesus that says, I want to encourage you and equip you to live a certain way. In fact, he ends his letter this way. So one more verse in First Peter that I want you to write down or underline is chapter 5, verse 12. This is kind of him signing off the letter. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, this is the one that carried the letter. I have written briefly to you the letter, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in what we believe. Stand firm that you belong. Stand firm in this way of life. Stand firm in it. And the whole letter that we're going to explore is to equip and encourage, exhort and declare. This is how we live. This is how we move beyond religion into discipleship of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for Peter. I'm grateful for a guy that just kept jumping and leaping and putting his foot in his mouth, Father. That he was one willing to walk this road and turn around and instruct us how. So, Father, as we go through this, I pray that you would open up your scripture to us. Even those that are hearing this that don't yet believe the authority and the validity of your words. Father, I pray that we'd at least give an open ear to it. We'd come in with an open mind and be available to what you can do in the midst of this. Father, for anyone right now that's wrestling with their faith, let's question it, Father. I pray that you would guide them on that journey. That you would help them ask the questions boldly and you would surround them with wisdom those that can provide answers. Father, as we interact with our culture, may we not make anybody an enemy of us because they're all your children, but that we would serve in all the places we find. Maybe serve in such a way that somebody would come up and even ask us, why Do you have this kind of hope? And may you get all the glory, Father. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.